Hi, welcome back to another episode of Real World Serverless, a podcast where I speak with real world practitioners and get their stories from the changes. Today, I'm joined by Robbie Kohler from Taco Bell. Hey, man. Hey, yeah. Thanks for having me. So, Robbie, uh, we've known each other for a little while and uh, we've worked together on a few things now. Um, can you maybe just tell the audience about your role at the Taco Bell and I guess Yarm, uh, your, your, your parent brand, and uh, what does your team do? Yeah, sure. So um, I am currently Director of Software Engineering at Taco Bell, uh, focusing on e-commerce engineering. Um, Taco Bell is part of Yum Brands, which also owns KFC, Pizza Hut, um, and uh, Habit Burger. Um, Yum is huge. There's over 50,000 global restaurants. Um, and at Taco Bell, domestically, we have over 7,000 restaurants in the United States. Um, we serve over 42 million customers per week. Um, and my team's main focus is on the, the kind of e-commerce and digital products around that. Um, personally, I've been in software since 2004, so I've seen a lot of changes. Uh, I'm really happy to be kind of on this cloud native and, and serverless bandwagon now. Um, so I guess the, that's a really interesting talking point there in terms of the traffic you guys uh, have and, and how many customers you're serving per week. Um, let's maybe go into that in a little more detail later. Uh, can you maybe just tell us about how Taco Bell is using serverless technologies uh, as a whole and how it's been working out for you? Yeah, so um, I'm actually pretty proud to say Taco Bell is a serverless first dev shop. So that means anything new we're building, we're really looking at it in a serverless first lens. Um, how can we use AWS to manage services? How do we make our lives easier? You know, it's been a journey to get to where we are now. Obviously, every company starts in a different way. Um, we actually started in, I would say, early 2018. Um, I joined late 2017, and we had this really huge strategic initiative to build this new system. And it was really important because at the time, you know, we were thinking about doing our kiosk uh, initiative, delivery aggregators were coming up, and we really needed a way to get our menu data, which is actually very complex if you think about it. There's over 7,000 restaurants, you know, millions of pricing rules, tax rules, um, store hours, all this kind of master data that makes up a menu. And we really wanted to build something that we own that and we can iterate on it. We can move very quickly. Um, so we started out building the system and that was my first project here. Um, we started building out kind of last gen, I guess you could call that, or, you know, kind of on EC2 servers and, and, and kind of these traditional, you know, ETL and data integration tools. But there was a really specific part of the system that was kind of worrying me about the scale. Like we said, there's a lot of these files are big, you know, we're connecting all these different APIs. So at that point, I started looking at serverless. Um, I heard of a lot about it. Um, I didn't <laughs> like a lot of people. I didn't really get it. I mean, there's servers. So I had to do a deep dive and understand that. And, you know, I was like, OK, I, I think I want to try this, at least on one part of the system. And we'll see how it goes. Um, and, and funny enough, um, my background's in .NET and C Sharp, which um, at the time they started supporting .NET Core on Lambda. So I'm like, okay, well, this maybe is not the exact best practice, but you know, this will work. I can take what I built here that, that works. It generates these menus, but I need it now to scale. So we literally did a POC. We, we popped it in. Um, you know, it was kind of the wild, wild west at the time. So it's like a lot of things we didn't know how it was going to work. Um, but thankfully, there's, the community was great. People like you had articles, and we can kind of dig into that a little bit more. Uh, but that was a huge success. Um, we didn't have to worry about the scaling. It's, it's scale up. You know, it's still talked to an RDS backend, but 
you know, the actual, you know, compute and memory and, and, and being able to spin up to do all these menus very quickly. Because when something changes, like the store hours changes or the price change, we need to get it out to all the digital channels as quick as possible. And I really didn't want to worry about an EC2 server crashing <laughs> or even containers and stuff like that in the back end. So that was the first dabbling in, in serverless. And from then, um, it just kind of cascaded to basically now every every new system is now serverless. And and then we were, you know, that system started out majorly not serverless. And we're starting to move that system to become fully serverless using step functions and things like that instead of maybe these EC2 servers and um, kind of monolithic code. So I guess uh, your strategy is very much of the sort of the strangler pattern where you start with one component that's low risk, uh, you know, go to, go serverless, try out, you know, learn about how to do things in a serverless way. And then gradually as you get more confidence and uh, I guess the more uh, accustomed to the way you do things with serverless, uh, then you start to tackle other parts of the system and I guess eventually you know, do some of the more business critical components. And I remember when we were working together, you were working on some of the middleware stuff and that was pretty much all fully serverless. Uh, is there anything you can tell us about that system, how it's put together, and uh, I guess what services do you use to uh, make the whole thing work? Yeah, so uh, like I said, we started off on the that menu middleware system that I described. Um, we got some success there. We built our confidence kind of as a team. And um, when it came down, we had to build a new system that accepted orders. Um, these can be orders from delivery aggregators. They can be orders from any kind of third-party system or even internal. Um, what an order is is basically like, you know, a fully paid order that needs to get processed and the food needs to be made in our stores. So we thought of, okay, well, we need to build this new system. Again, we can do it the, the last-gen way. We can look at containers, EC2. But we already had that success, so we like, we wanted to build upon that. So we decided to make this a fully serverless, 100% um, no PPC uh, kind of project. Um, so what the system does is it takes those inbound orders from different order sources. And we actually use step functions here. Um, step functions, again, is we're really, really big fans of it um, for the kind of business critical um, workflows. Again, um, when we used to write lambdas, we probably made them way too monolithic. Um, we probably made them so that they were you know, too much kind of logic within within the lambdas. So we've started to break them up into very kind of fine-grained lambdas and use step functions for the orchestration. Um, and what the system does is it's kind of pro processing these orders. It's running various rules. We even have callback callback task tokens where maybe the order kind of pauses for a little bit and the driver, if it's a delivery order, they're going to drive close by. It's going to trigger another event that they're close by and that goes back into our kind of via event bridge kind of starts up the step function again. Um, so it's really easy kind of onboard new integrations with the system. It's really easy to know what's going on because we're using step functions. Um, so we've kind of, you know, evolved in how we use kind of serverless and managed services to uh, this new order middleware platform. And I guess uh, being like a middleware platform, you also have to do a lot of integration with other third-party services or maybe uh, internal services as well. So I guess this is where perhaps step functions uh, retry and things like that is also quite useful. Is that what you guys are using step functions to do as well? You know, taking the retry out of Lambda and put it into the state machine itself? Yeah, so so you can imagine the system, there's, there's internal and external services that uh, we're communicating with. Um, Again, we could have done this in Lambda. We could have done, you know, uh, kind of the older way of doing it where it gets really hard to reason about when you're sending things back and forth asynchronously. So step functions really, really was nice here because we could put 
um, retries, things like retries on, on critical parts of, this, um, of the workflow. Um, we can handle different types of, of errors. We kind of open it up so we can eventually do things like make it a circuit breaker pattern if we needed to. Um, but, you know, we started off, you know, we, we needed to get it out pretty quickly, so we started out with just kind of retries, and that helped to smooth out a lot of the issues. Um, we noticed when we started doing kind of um, load testing or we started seeing a lot of load, you know, once you run millions, this thing millions of times, you're going to see things that normally don't happen. You're going to see issues. So retries actually just kind of, for the most part, you know, 99% of the time, you know, it's going to work after a few retries. So that's been a very big success there. So kind of interestingly enough, we ran into some, not, not necessarily challenges, but we were, we're asking ourselves, how do we test the system? We have these, we have APIs, you know, that we don't control on the inbound and we have APIs we don't really control on the outbound. We have the system in the middle, the order middleware. Um, but you know, we, we really wanted to test, does this thing scale? What we built. Um, and also just kind of end to end, you know, like happy path testing, we need to make sure because it gets pretty complex when you have these different workflows. Um, you know, I did, I remember talking to you about it and we were kind of thinking about different ways we can do this. And what we did is it became really, really easy to mock out kind of the, you know, the left side and the right side, I guess you can think of, of the diagram. So API gateway, you know, we use Lambda and we just very, very simply mocked out all the different kind of inputs and the outputs and the calls. And when you kind of spin up these temporary tax, um, stacks in your CI/CD environment, you're actually spinning up these these fake mock APIs on both sides, and um, you can really simulate anything that's that's actually going to happen. Um, you know, you can take it really far, or you can do it very simple. You know, just like small delay, you know, and things like that. You kind of give yourself that ability there. But what's nice is that you can then do your end-to-end -end testing. You can then do your your happy task, happy um, path automation. You can then pound load and simulated load against those mock APIs, and then you can try to run, you know, let's run a million orders and see what happens with Dynamo and, and API Gateway. And of course, you know, we all thought, well, this is going to scale. You know, it's it's this is what it's made to do. But we still caught errors. We still caught places where we needed retries. Um, so it was still very very valuable to do that, and, and we're glad we did it. Um, again, like a lot of things with like Lambda serverless managed services that are new. It's a little wild, wild west at first, and I'm really thankful there's, you know, the community is great, like people like you that write, you know, it's a joke around here. Every time we're doing something, you kind of write an article around the same time that is exactly what we're working on. Um, actually, that first system back in 2018, the menu middleware, I was like, how do I do secrets? Like, how do I, like, I have these database connections. And it was annoying me because I don't want to do environment variables. We had so many of these lambdas we're writing, and it just seemed off, you know, and... Um, the first article I ever, ever read of yours was um, about using SSM. Uh, it was about like you should write some kind of middleware. You should, you know, this is a cross-cutting concern that you're going to use all the time. You know, figure out a way to do to do something. So we wrote our own little middleware, if you want to call it, like a MIDI type thing for uh, C sharp that now is used for a lot of those. Um, but uh, you know, it, it definitely helped us out a lot in terms of like secrets management. Like you, you kind of guided us to use Parameter Store, which has been really, really great. It's definitely evolved so much using the serverless framework and, and things like that. So, yeah, uh, this, you know, the system was a culmination of many years of uh, trial and error and learning, and, and we're pretty proud of it, though. Great. Uh, yeah, it's amazing to see how far you guys have come. And um, I guess one thing I do want to also ask you as well is that, uh, you know, Step Functions uh, is a really powerful service. I love it as well. 
but uh, it's also one of the more expensive services that AWS offers. Um, what do you, I guess, what's your view on when does it make sense to use that functions versus uh, putting more stuff into a Lambda function instead? Um, do you have some kind of rule of thumb that you use to decide, okay, you know, that is a good place uh, where we should be using step functions, even if it's more expensive? Yeah, that, that's the only thing I would say the negative about, about step functions. Uh, they do have the express tech step functions, but it's it's a little bit limited. And and, and it, we did actually use express step functions to kind of a regular step function calling express step functions for certain synchronous parts of the workflow. And that actually was a kind of unique way to save a little money, but still have it broken up and more granular. Um, we could have obviously put those into to Lambda functions, but it's not really our best practice now. We want to make sure... No, it really depends. So I guess, you know, that's the, the answer everyone always says. If it's something mission critical business, like dealing with orders, maybe payment processing, you know, the first thing I'm going to think about is this might, you know, and I'm thinking about like production services teams going in, you know, different third party observability tools. What's going to be the easiest way? Because it's not just building it, right? You can build it super fast. You can write a monolithic Lambda if you wanted to, right? It's going to be able to do all your stuff. But we just have to make sure that... um you know, the teams that we're handing it off to, whether it's us maintaining it in production or some other team, it's going to be easy for them to know what's happening. Now, that's one of the, you know, the negatives they say about middleware or, or sorry, about uh, serverless is that it can be hard to know what's going on. Um, so, self functions kind of mitigates that with its like visual workflow and, um, and things like that. So, if I feel like we need some kind of visual way to see what's happening, that's important. If it's a mission critical workflow, you know, step functions will consider it. If it's not going to run a ton of times either, if it's like a batch process that, you know, you're going to save a lot of money actually, even though it's an expensive service versus an EC2 server running all day that runs a job, you know, once or twice a day, right? Those are the old ways we used to run those batch jobs or ETL jobs. Like serverless is so perfect for that in set functions. And I actually want to talk about a system we built for that a little bit later because we really kind of dove in deep on step functions there. Um, so, you know, the cost can be an issue at scale, but the nice thing is you can like calculate it out. You can, you can really like determine like, well, what is it worth for an accurate order, right? Is it, you know, you, you know, I can give that to my you know, business sponsors and executives and be like, it costs, you know, a fraction of a cent if we do it this way or we do it in Lambda and you kind of just weigh out the, the positives and negatives. So I would be happy if they, you know, reduce the pricing and we can all wish. Um, but it is, it's a fantastic service. I know there's a lot behind it, and it's a lot better than me building it and me maintaining it. So I'm, I'm kind of happy to pay for that. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, that's probably you know, the fact that you don't have to manage any instances. You don't have to pay and you know, spend any engineering time on the uh, patching OS or machine images and all of that. It just saves you so much time. And I think the visualization is just really, really useful, not just for the development team, but also for the support team. And uh, maybe for the product owners as well, I've had the teams that, uh, you know, they work with uh, product people who don't understand code, but they can very happily look at a, a visual diagram from your state machine definition and figure out, oh, right, okay, that looks about right. You're doing that step one first, you're talking to Visa to, do, to verify the credit card number and then the next step. So they can get a sense of what the system is actually doing without having to dive into the code. And equally, when you've got support teams, they can look at, uh, well, uh, execution and see which path is took and uh, know where there's a problem, where exactly is the problem. They have to you know, dive into lots of logs and whatnot. You just see, okay, that's one failure execution there going to that. There's a red box right there. And you can see, okay, yep, that's the step we failed on. 
Um, so yeah, the visualization stuff is just so powerful. It's, it's amazing. It is, and, and and I think you, you got to think of that as part of the overall total cost of ownership is how much time is going to save, right? Well, you just saved me from documentation because I just exported out, like you said. If you model it very correctly and and right with all the different paths and you know saga patterns rollbacks, it's like that's that's how it works. Like take a look at this diagram, and it's it's really nice, right? That documentation, and then the time saved for. I think we. Um, we don't think of how much time is spent digging through logs, digging through various accounts, um, CloudWatch, you know, insights. You know, it's gotten better, but it was really painful years ago. I remember trying to figure out what's happening with something with, with break. So Step Functions, again, simplifies a lot of that. It gives you that place where you can kind of double click in literally into the issue. And, um, you know, I think it's it's definitely totally worth it, especially on um, stuff that's not running like 100 million times an hour, right? It, it's a no-brainer for me to use that. And uh, we actually have the system we built um, that we call Diablo. And I always like saying this name and the acronym, which is the Data Integration and Automation Batch Lambda Orchestration. It's a mouthful. Um, but that is a system we built kind of to replace any of these old ETL tools. I'm not going to name these tools. We've all used them. Um, and, you know, a lot of us not wanting to use tools would always end up writing these, like, kind of, data integration, you know, platforms that handle jobs and, you know, start time, end times, errors and everything like that. So when I came here, I was like, well, I'm going to have to write another one or, or someone's going to have to because it's like we don't want to use these these other um, uh, services that are offered. And I was looking at step functions and well, Airflow was it was an alternative. And I'm like, I'd have to run containers, I'd have to run EC2 because it managed Airflow wasn't there yet. So I was like, can we do this with step functions and Lambda? And I was like, well, yeah, it's just executing steps. It's passing in input. And at the time, Step Functions kept releasing more and more cool stuff. Like, you can pass the input in here, and it just, like, was very much more um, robust. So the timing was right where we built this new platform again. And um, that is a batch process. You know, you're handling import-export jobs. You're handling, like, sending reports out. You're handling anything, and you just write these new Lambda steps. It's kind of a horizontal service, these general um, Lambda functions. And that's probably been one of our most successful things. Like, I really want to, like, open source or at least kind of create a version for that because I think other people would find it very, very helpful. Um, and, uh, yeah, again, we, we love serverless here. If it sounds like I'm really excited, it's like I never knew we can, like, fall in love with a certain um, type of technology. But I think because I've, I've been through the trenches, I've been through the pain of spending three weeks trying to get, like, this monolith to work. And the fact now we can kind of finish these projects within that three month, the three week time span with um, with serverless is amazing. So, so I wanted to I guess uh, drill in on that a little bit uh, because that's a really interesting you know, in terms of that productivity gain uh, you're referring to there. So I guess uh, maybe zooming out a little bit, what would you say have been the biggest uh, success or the biggest benefit you've had um, by adopting serverless? Yeah, I mean. It's really hard to quantify. I would love to quantify how much time we've actually saved. You know, I've discussed that order middleware. We had something up and running in like two to three weeks, right? Like a sprint. Because it, you really break it down now. Serverless is taking out some of the stuff that just took a long time to do, like going to another team, setting up the servers, and all these things that is not producing the business value, right? Now, what serverless does is it's like, well, we already, we already have this tool belt. Like, we're already super powered. We know we can get by any of that, and we can just start immediately on the business value. I think it does a couple things. One, I think 
it gives our development team a lot of confidence when we're talking to like product owner or, or our business partners that like <laughs> almost we can build anything, you know, like, you know, we're already thinking in our head how we would do it and which services we could do it. So it takes out a lot of that cognitive load before it's like, well, I may have to get Mongo license or, you know, this event bus. And you're like, no, well, I know I'm going to use EventBridge here. I know Kinesis makes sense here, right? So there's a lot of that reduced amount of time to get going. Um, you know, and just costs. Like I said, the um, some of the cost savings have been really dramatic going from EC2s, really powerful EC2s running 24-7 to just, you know, stuff function calling a Lambda a handful times a day. You'd see like upwards of 99% reduction in costs. Not to mention the time um, and the fun that we're having. So developers actually like it. So they want to do more. They work faster and they work, you know, um, not to say we want them to work longer, but I've noticed that like they're just very excited about it, you know, with our communities of practice we have here. So seeing a lot of benefits across the board. That's why I'm such a big fan. So in terms of uh, building up that uh, community of practice, that's one of the things that I think a lot of companies struggle with, is, uh, especially when you've got you know, a really large company, there's a lot of uh, diff uh, different uh, communication channels and trying to get the consensus on technologies and practices is quite difficult. Do you have any sort of, I guess, uh, tips or hints um, that you can share with us uh, so that anyone else who's listening, who's you know, thinking about doing the same thing, uh, can you know, have a better chance of succeeding? Yeah, I still think we're we're relatively kind of new to the whole uh, serverless and and going really all in on the managed services. So you're gonna have some doubts um, when you bring it up to, in a company. I think it's very common when I talk to you and other globally. It seems like there's a lot of common things talking about. Well, how do you do this with Terraform and how does serverless framework work with that? So what you really need to do, I think, first is have a few evangelists for serverless. You got to have some people that are already passionate. They've already built something. They have something to show. They have repos in your common repo. Maybe build a, you know, a group or something and start throwing in these like already baked and, and fully complete uh, serverless kind of starters. I remember you, <laughs> I'm always referring to your tips, but you tell me you should probably have some example repos. Um, so when someone needs to know to do something like a node, they're not starting from the beginning. There's already some best practices built in. There's like MIDI built in for the parameter store and a readme file. So we started to, to do that. You know, you gotta have a Slack channel or Teams or whatever you're using where that community that practices is constantly sharing. Because, you know, the space moves fast, right? <laughs> New services are happening, EventBridge is like, now we're, you know, a centralized event bus. And, you know, that's important. You need to kind of talk about that. You need to bring that up in that group. Maybe have architecture meetings specifically about that. And one thing like um, we're doing right now is that it's expanding so much, you kind of almost need like T-shaped specialists on certain things. So we have one person that really likes DynamoDB. So we have him, you know, I'm like, go read Alex, you know, Alex Abri's book, go dive in really deeply. Another person likes AppSync, GraphQL. I'm like, all right, you know, sign up for Yan's course. I'm in that course, it's amazing. You know, I'm plugging you here, but uh, it is really amazing that you can spin up basically Twitter the back end for front end. I actually started up again after a few weeks. <laughs> I was like, this is awesome. Because within one command, and I don't think people understand that. Once they run that serverless command, deploy, or whatever it is, you just need that sandbox account. You really are like running that full app without any toil whatsoever about setting the server. So that's usually like, I just show them that, <laughs> the new people, and they're like, okay, I'm kind of bought in on this. Um, but you do need to have that community practice. Have, we have a bi-weekly meeting where we discuss, we demo new things we're working on or we demo new, you know, stuff functions recently came out with the, you can kind of use the UI and, um, 
you know, it's something you and I wanted years ago is like, it'd be nice to have a UI sometimes just to build out these steps because you're just kind of working with these huge YAML or JSON files and it kind of gets harder. You know, anything gets really complicated when they get huge. So that, you know, that's something we would demo in that meeting and get everyone excited. So, and then once you have that, you have evangelists, you have people from other teams join, you have your platform team, you have DevOps, you realize we can work together. You know, we still want you to own EC2s, RDS, VPC, all those components. We're not saying we want to manage them within a serverless repos because that would be, you know, a nightmare. We just want to manage the managed services, things around our microservices. Um, so you do have to you make sure you bring everyone aboard, honestly, because it's such a, it's a paradigm shift. So I think, um, you know, we learned that, you know, a little bit the hard way. It took us a little bit longer, but we're in a good place now where pretty much everyone's on board. All the new interns that come on, they've never done anything but serverless. So they're just like, oh, this is cool. This is the way it's done. I'm like, no, let me take you back to 2004, what this was like. And, um, you know, months and months of waiting to see if you're going to get this uh, MQ server, like some server, you know, it was a different time. And then they're like, oh, okay, well, this is pretty cool then. Yeah, like, yes, this is amazing. And uh, we kind of drill that into the young guys. It's it's pretty funny. Yeah, it's amazing to think that the whole generation of uh, developers is going to grow up not having to have to configure the uh, engines and the web servers and all this other stuff just to get two lines of business logic running, returning some JSON data from a database. <laughs> no, we're going to, I think we'll keep, We'll keep one around just for that reason to, to force them to do, <laughs> force them to spend the first three months of their career uh, mo maintaining a monolith. And then we like to, just kidding, you know that's actually not in production. Check this out. Um, we may do may do that. Put them through a little bit of uh, some stress because yeah, the pain of spending weeks, not just days, weeks to try to get something to work. You know, I just can't go back. None of us can go back. Yeah, same here. Same here. Um, and uh, I guess in that case, uh, let's uh, maybe talk a little bit about uh, some of the challenges, uh, both, I guess, and we talked about uh, the need for uh, community or practice, uh, but what about any sort of technical challenges that you guys have to overcome? Um, make, I guess you kind of touch on some of the organizational challenges, uh, but uh, uh, yeah, let's talk about some of the technical challenges that you've had to deal with. Yeah, I think, um, like I said, in 2018, early 2018, you know, the community, serverless community is like, blown up since then i think um so lambda was a few years old by then you know it just got like i think the five minute timeout and things like that so it started opening up these new use cases you know um but again i did the you know the first ones we did were in net um it was monolithic to say the least uh, i was you know i was building it the way i used to build the apps with types you know um type crazy right i build these really object-oriented systems before and that's just the way i thought you did software, right? Whether it's Java or, or, or C sharp. And you start to really, I started realizing really quickly. Yeah. I I noticed you weren't doing that and you were just using node or, or whatever. And other people were using Python. And I was like, okay, this is not the right, you know, I'm not saying it's a wrong way or it's a bad way because it still works and there's business value, but there's a better way to do things. You know, so we started adopting node and Python just as, as general, right? So the data folks like to use Python for their lambdas. Everyone else, kind of, especially the full stack front end engineers, they already know JavaScript and Node. Some like TypeScript, so we don't force that on them. But if you want types, you can have some types there. Um, so it, what, what was nice about that is we started moving away from doing them in Java. And not to say they're bad. Sometimes you may need to do something in Java or C Sharp if you need like high performance. But you start to get um, kind of everyone. Everyone knows these languages. They start to share more. Um, 
so that was a good decision we made. We started just kind of standardizing there. Um, you know, the challenges are always like, well, how do you make these things secure, right? So in the beginning, you know, we had one role that did way too much. You know, so it's like, oh, man, this is not, you know, best practice. You know, eventually we started using the serverless framework. We, we settled on that. You know, in the beginning, I don't even think service framework supported .NET Core, so I was kind of packaging up the zip files, uploading them. It was pretty, pretty bad. Um, but now, like, the serverless framework is such a nice abstraction for so many things. And using things like the MIDI middleware, um, you know, you can just be really productive very quickly once you just kind of get around those best practices. Um, and it can be very, and it's very secure. You, you know, our security team, you know, they're always concerned about security, but you tell them, like, we, we lock down this Lambda. You can't do anything but this because it's, it's, it's a, you know, a role per function type thing. And uh, the serverless step functions um, plugin, you know, it also like auto locks down your step function role and stuff like that. Like, that's really cool. Right? It's not going to try to do, make it too. It's not doing admin access and things like that. So, you know, there's always those kind of like technical challenges, not necessarily around the code itself, but more like security. Like, how do we worry about like you know maintaining this in production and things like that? So there's great third party um, tools. You work with Lumigo, you know, that's a great thing to get kind of observability, you know, CloudWatch insights. There's a lot of training that we've had to do. And I would say actually one of the biggest challenges is to kind of like get people to understand what we're building. Q quality engineers, um, even the product owners to some extent. Like it's, it is a paradigm shift. Um, but when you get down to it and we talked about it, like you're not really writing now that much complex code. Sometimes you may have a complex piece of business logic. Maybe you write that in its own library and you have unit tests on that. But a lot of things you're just kind of, you know, writing to a table here or maybe AppSync is handling a lot of things for you. And then you're like, it's less about writing these huge algorithms and, you know, reinventing the wheel and more about understanding all the services and the best way to use it. Because there's a lot of ways you can do the same thing. So that was that was probably one thing to do. Um, but we've kind of settled on like, you know, EventBridge is always being is always there now. Uh, DLQs, um, maybe not always having to go to an SQS and having Lambda. You know, there's other ways we can do that now with EventBridge. And then if it fails, then you can write it to a DLQ. And, you know, some of the less experienced people would be like, I'm a little bit overwhelmed because there's so many ways to do this. So, um, again, not overly complicated from a technical perspective, but uh, kind of overwhelming and, and getting everyone involved are kind of some of the challenges we've, we've seen. Uh, one thing you mentioned earlier is that uh, you are still using RDS for a lot of systems. Uh, uh, I guess, how do you find that balance of uh, when do you use RDS versus DynamDB? And maybe uh, how do you deal with the, some of the challenges that comes with using RDS from Lambda, uh, especially if you're not using serverless Aurora, then uh, there's you know, all this uh, socket pooling, other things you've got to worry about. Um, how do you guys uh, approach that? Yeah, so that so that first I always go back to the first time we built that system, which definitely has an RDS backend, um, kind of for this menu master data. Um, at the time, there was no way we, we were comfortable with Dynamo. I, I mean, I you know get, getting everyone on board for Lambda was enough, but probably to get them the board for using something like Dynamo was just too much. Um, but we've again we've come a long way because of the success. You know, as we built out more systems using Dynamo, the tooling around Dynamo has gotten better. We our understanding of Dynamo through like Alex and yourself has gotten a lot better. So we actually, like I said, we're serverless first. So if we don't have to do a VPC for some new system, we're going to try to do it in Dynamo. And Dynamo has like some great different ways you can use it and model data and different use cases. 
and that that's nice, right? But if you're on kind of, a, I will say, our legacy, you know, our first couple serverless apps that have RDS, you know, you do open up a little bit more. You got to be in the VPC now for your lambdas. You have security groups. You have things that are a little bit more, I would say, like annoying to deal with, but you just kind of have to deal with that. And then RDS is going to scale to a certain extent. Um, based on the size of the kind of the cluster you started. So, you know, make sure you got Redis or something or, or read replica set up, uh, especially if you're doing heavy reads. So that was something we, we and, and they make it easy to do that, which is great on the RDS. So I love Aurora. It's a, it's a great product itself. We're, we're definitely going to look at serverless Aurora. Um, but I don't know. I'm kind of like, uh, if I can get away with not having a VPC, I'm, I'm definitely going to try very hard to do it. And if people want to query that data, like it's, you know, SQL and we can send it to like, you know, S3s that they can use Athena or maybe, you know, there's like a kinesis to their own database. We could figure out ways to still make that happen. But we're, we're, we try to be creative about doing Dynamo first. You know, early 2020, I was talking to my boss and I was like, I think we're ready. And he's like, well, what are we ready for? I think I'm like, I think we're ready to be serverless first. And he's like, I'm like, okay. And, you know, like, let's just, you know, we're using AWS. We're not going to get off. You know, we're happy with the service. They're the leader in this. We've had success from three of the four of these projects. I feel I'm a little bit, you know, it's 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 a little difficult when something new is being talked about the architecture, and I have to think about being cloud agnostic or using some tool that is not really tailor made for what we're trying to do. If I can just, you know, use something that it's made and we can get it done faster, Amazon's not going away, <laughs> you know. And, and it was kind of this like step we took instead of being half, you know, one foot out the door so that we can be cloud agnostic. We just took that full step towards AWS and serverless. And um, then I think like Dynamo blew up. Everyone started building things on Dynamo. It was like RDS, like if we have to. And it was nice. It was it was really fun, actually. Okay. So I guess nowadays uh, DynamoDB is uh, pretty much uh, very firmly established in your stack as well as uh, EventBridge by the sound of it. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean... Uh, Eventbridge is definitely something I think you 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 want to start with for anything. Um, we're we're looking at some patterns you guys have been talking about. Um, we have that central event bus because um, there's events that multiple teams may care about, right? So like the store hours for store hours updates for a particular store, or the pricing or tax rule change. You know, there's one system that kind of maintains where that event happens, but. You know, the e-commerce team cares about it because they got to update something on their side, right? And then, you know, um, some other team that's dealing with, let's say, location services or whatever may need to know that that happened. Um, so instead of kind of figuring out these other ways of maybe we use SNS in the path uh, and it just didn't seem very, you know, felt a little awkward, we're looking at the centralized event bus and then just kind of like rules that are firing off to other, you know, systems. And that that's becoming really powerful. Even like third parties and our partners, we can we can send them events that are happening and they can build things off them as well. Um, it's actually I'm really re we're really really high on that and we're really high on on the potential for AppSync GraphQL to kind of replace some of the stuff we're doing at the API Gateway. Um, there's so many things we're looking into if you think about it. Building front ends, we're looking at you know doing the kind of Jamstack with um, you know Amplifier and things like that, and then. Uh, for the API layer, though, it's like AppSync. Again, your masterclass has been really great for following through that, just to kind of get ourselves ready for the new stuff we're going to build. That's great to hear. And uh, EventBridge just announced a new feature as well. I think a couple of days ago, uh, the cross-account uh, event schema discovery. 
So if you've got like a centralized event bus, you can also just uh, have the, uh, all of the, uh, the event schema being discovered, I guess reported to uh, different accounts so that you can easily access them as well. And uh, not just the event themselves, but uh, actually the schema for those events you want to consume from a different account, uh, which is pretty cool. Uh, it's hard to keep up. They do so many, they do so many, <laughs> do so many uh, updates and that's a pretty big one. So I definitely will need to share that with our internal group. So that's a great example. We would, we, I'd find that, you know, I'm like reading it on the weekend because I'm lame and I follow serverless on the weekend. <laughs> and then I'll post that to the chat. And then, you know, surprisingly, someone's like, hey, I'm working on something too. And that, thanks for sharing that. I'm, I'm going to think about that for my, my project. Um, so, yeah, that, it's it's hard to keep up, but you, you kind of need a team to keep up with all the stuff they're coming out with. And do we use this? Oh, this actually doesn't really work. Like, I think they just came out with this managed Redis uh, service. And I looked at it and I was like, oh, this is really cool. But it's, you know, we're still kind of serverless first. And we can do this with Dynamo. We can do this with AppSync Resolver, you know, caching. And, you know, it, it wasn't something for us. But it, it was nice to look at that and, and kind of talk about it as a group. That's one value is to just kind of eliminate services. There's so many, right? You know, having that, that group that can say, well, actually, this is not what we're doing. That's cool. Maybe we'll look at that later. Yeah, that's the uh, Amazon memory DV right for Redis. There's also the company called uh, Upstash, which uh, does more of a serverless uh, Redis. So you pay for the number of requests you make, as far as I think for, for data storage as well, rather than the memory DB, which is, uh, you know, you're paying for uptime for the number of EC2 nodes that you're running and how long you run them for, even though there's less you know, infrastructure overhead, but you're still kind of paying for uptime as opposed to like you do with Lambda, with step functions, uh, you only pay for them when you use them, which is, uh, you know, it's, uh, I guess, more efficient when you unless you do like million requests a second that kind of thing so i mean that's what i'll say one thing too is if, if someone's worried or a company the big the first question i get from my partners and um other people i, I talk to is like well does it handle enterprise you know scale and, and and if we're building a SaaS and things like that and i'm like well yeah if you do it right <laughs> um you know even if you're doing a, a tremendous high scale i'm sure there's parts of the system that could still be serverless Manage, and I'm including all the managed services, EventBridge and things like that. You don't need to roll your own, in my opinion, you don't need to roll your own like infrastructure and then put stuff on it that's kind of AWS already does. Um, yeah, and, I'm, and the stuff that require uptime that are always up, like when we were considering document DB versus like Dynamo in the beginning, now clearly we're, we, we, you know, no, nothing against MongoDB, it's a great, great service, but the way we're moving and just kind of, um, the general consensus is like Dynamo. Let's make Dynamo work. You know, there's there's a way to do that. So, Robbie, thank you so much for taking the time to share your experience with us today. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to so mention before you go? Maybe um, is talk about hiring. I, I'm sure there's a, a serverless enthusiasts who are listening to this uh, podcast who may be interested in the, taking up a job with you guys. Yeah, we're always looking for new uh, serverless developers. As you know, they're you know a little bit hard to find right now. It's it's competitive, but um, just want to get the word out that you know Taco Bell. You 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 guys probably know us you know from just eating the food, but we have a lot of cool technology we're building, and we're we're going as I guess you can say cutting edge as possible. You know, we think five years from now this is going to be the norm, and we're kind of already there. Um, we're not afraid to try new technologies. We're not afraid to try. You know anything that, um, and we're not afraid to partner with AWS here and, and work with experts like you. Um, we have we have a ton of fun. Um, 
Yeah, and uh, if, if you guys are interested, there's uh, two uh, This Is My Architecture videos where I kind of dive in a little bit more on the order middleware and the mini middleware. So you can just YouTube Taco Bell um, AWS. I think they, they should pop up. Um, yeah, that's about it. Okay, I'll put those uh, in the show notes. And uh, if you share the careers page, I guess, uh, with me as well, then I'll put that in the show notes as well so that uh, people can check it out easily. Um, again, Robbie, thank you so much for taking the time and uh, stay safe. Hope to catch you in person. Maybe the next reinvent. Oh, yes, the reinvent's happening. Um, we'll meet at the Taco Bell Cantina right across. Uh, the con- I know you've been there before, uh, late night. So, uh- yeah, I'm not sure about this year because of the, all the travel restrictions. Uh, but uh, let's see, let's see what happens. I'm, I'm, I'm really hoping, if not the next year. <laughs> Thanks, Ian. Take it easy, man. Okay, bye-bye. All right, bye bye. So that's it for another episode of Real World Serverless. To access the show notes, please go to realworldserverless.com. If you want to learn how to build production-ready serverless applications, please check out my upcoming courses at productionreadyserverless.com. And I'll see you guys next time.